Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Our son has become an avid fisherman. I mean fishing all the time. If he can get a ride to the creek, river, lake, pond, or puddle, he's there. <laughs> and uh, that includes me going because let's, let's go, you know, let's go. So you can see here's a picture of Kyle uh, there with one of his many catches. This summer, though, we've been out all the time, it seems like. Almost twice a week, sometimes three times a week, if there's a spare hour or two. And sometimes it'll be four hours on the lake if we go out to the lake. Moreau Lake, Scroon River, these may be some of your pl favorite places. Javi Pond, uh, Kateroceros. How do you like that one? <laughs> uh, maybe that was about right. Uh, our favorite, I believe, is Saratoga Lake and Fish Creek. And we go over to an area. I took it apart, and I'm like, look, it's all metal gears. It's great. And it's just like one little, maybe quarter-inch, little knob plastic thing. And it's brittle, of course. And it's just, it, it broke. It went to the side. You can't fix it. I thought about how can I fix this because I like the, the, how it worked and everything because it's all metal gears. But it, all this stuff is breaking. We went through at least five different reels and rods and then also uh, fishing um, nets. We've gone through a couple nets, too, because the fish hooks get stuck, and then, you know, you kind of cut it eventually after you figure it out. You can't get it out, so we've gone through a lot of stuff. And one of them, he was, he was grabbing something out of the water, just swooping it right through the water, and it snapped <laughs> uh, like that. You'll see why I'm describing this here in just a moment. These are just factual observations that I'm sharing with you. While many of our reels and rods are broke or broken, there's one thing that I'm going to talk to you today uh, about that is not broken. Something that is not broken in our passage here before us. And here's what it is. The gospel. The gospel is not broke. It's not broken. Let's read these verses in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18, and this is just after uh, Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. Immediately before this, he has the temptation, Satan tempts him. He's already been baptized by John the Baptist, and his earthly ministry has begun. He has begun preaching the message that he gave early on is to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his ministry all develops around Capernaum, which is right next to the Sea of Galilee. It's a, a larger fishing village in that era. And here is Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18. Saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can you read that verse with me? And he saith unto them together, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. I mean immediately, quickly, no hesitation about this. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. 
and he called them. They were preparing their net. They were mending their net. I'll talk to you about what that is in just a moment. And uh, they also, uh, Jesus calls them. I believe, it's not quoted here, but I believe it's the same calling, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think it's probably the same message. He just goes down the shore a little bit. He sees these other two and says the same thing. So I believe, it doesn't ever say in the scriptures, but I believe it's probably the same exact message. And notice then, immediately they left then the ship and their father and followed him. They also are now following Christ. Let's read Luke. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 5, it gives a little more depth and detail just to give another insight, a perspective from Dr. Luke as he uh, tells this event. So Luke chapter 5, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he's already begun that message, repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's not to be confusing. It's just the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place, the same place. Uh, Gennesaret, depending on which uh, seashore you're walking to and from, uh, local people would call it by either one of those names. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, that'd be Peter, and prayed him. He asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Our students are going to classrooms today. How would you like to go to the seashore and your teacher sitting in a boat? That'd be pretty epic, wouldn't it? I think just this this, uh, event here, there are some nice... uh, sandy beaches there along the Sea of Galilee that you could kind of see like a cove, kind of uh, almost a half circle areas that, that he could have been teaching out of. And so he's speaking. So when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. That means let's go fishing again. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. We have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And so he said, uh, we, we've been doing this all night. I've been listening to your teaching because you're the teacher. And Peter had met Jesus uh, not too long before this. And he said, well, we'll go ahead and do it because you are the master. He does address him as the master. And when he had, done, had uh, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Okay, what we read about in the previous chapter, or the previous book, they were mending their nets, so their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he was astonished, and all that were with him and the draught, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. I will make you fishers of men. And when they had brought their ship to land, they forsook all and followed him. Uh, Peter and brother Andrew were in the boat when Jesus called to them. Here's the Jesus boat. It was discovered in 1986 along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was under a lot of mud. I mean, uh, hundreds of years of mud and muck and everything. Just imagine if you've ever been out by a uh, seashore or a lake. And uh, it's believed that this boat was an old boat in the time of Christ. 
they've identified the different species of wood on it, and they could tell it was made of one type of wood, but then over the years, people had patched it up with whatever type of wood they had lying around. So it has like, I don't remember exactly, 16, 17, 18 different species of wood whenever they would patch it up. So it was probably an old boat whenever it was there for the time of Christ. And so I took this picture years ago. I was really excited because the little uh, gate that was around it was, was open for some reason. So I went in and, and touched it and looked at it, and I carved my name in it. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're like, what? <laughs> Steve was here. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but I did take the picture. This was a common fishing vessel back in that day. 2,000 years ago, this was the most common. In fact, some of the uh, Roman leaders at the time would say, let's have a bunch of ships gather around in Israel. And at one point, there was 270 of these kind of going in an armada or in a, uh, history tells us that. So about 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep, the most common style boat in that location. It's a fishing vessel. And uh, they were using their nets. Now, you could have one net that you cast in. It seems like uh, they, they use another boat to kind of connect with the other one. Maybe, you know, you could drag it together or draw it. Maybe has that idea. So it could be something like that. We know that these guys are kind of working in tandem. They're working together on this. And it's a difficult job, casting the net. The word cast here, it describes um, not throwing it like you would throw a baseball, but more like throwing it over your shoulder because of its weight. That's, that's what the word cast here means. Not like a baseball throw, but more like heaving it up and over, shoving it over the side of the boat, perhaps, is what they're doing. It's heavy, and these are industrial strength nets that they're using. Now, mending their nets does not only mean they're repairing the net, it can mean that, and it does, but also untangling the net, repairing holes, um, rearranging the net to set it out correctly. The way that it reads in Matthew, it seems like they are uh, repairing it and rearranging it so they could go back out. Like, wow, that was a good haul, let's go back out again. Or maybe they were preparing even after all being out all night to do that. So they're mending and repairing their nets. They're getting ready to go fishing again. They're getting ready to go back out into their industry. So their net was broke. But there's something that's not broken, and that is the gospel. Here's a statistic for you. 80% of the people that you could invite would respond positively to an invitation from you to come to church. That's the stat. Church answers, Tom Rainer, these guys I... Uh, respect. They have studies and things they conduct. 80%. So of, of the people that you could invite, 80%, if you gave a personal, warm, friendly, sit with me at church on October 1st invitation, 80% would receive that invitation. They may or may not come, but they would be positive towards that. This person cares for me. They're interested in me. They're my friend. They want to include me in their activity of, uh, of attending church, etc. And so they may or may not attend, but they know that they are welcome. 80% would say something positive about that. Now, notice this call of Jesus. It's very clear. It's very concise. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In a follow-up, in a similar way, at the end of the earthly ministry of Christ, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
and, uh, and of course, teaching them some more, discipling them as that passage continues. And so at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, Jesus talks about followers of Christ, winning others, sharing Christ, talking to others about, about himself. He said, follow me. This word follow means to come or to come hither. To come here is an easy way to say that. Um, it gets the force of an interjection. Come, come now. It's not, it has an imperative behind it. It's not just like, oh, maybe if you get around to it. It's like immediately. And by the way, they responded immediately as the scripture tells us. They left all and followed him. They followed him. And uh, to follow then, to follow, to be following, is to follow one who proceeds, to join as an attendant, as his attendant, to join as a disciple, to become a disciple. That's what they did. So he says, follow me. And the Bible says, they followed. They started to go after Christ and start to express what he says is what we believe and what he says to do is what we want to uh, do. And they started to have life change in them. Now, this is interesting because back in Old Testament and New Testament times, rabbis, teachers, they would call them master, teacher, things like this, uh, they would not look for students they would have students looking for them. The normal pattern in Israel was for a prospective disciple. So this is kind of like in an academic way, uh, but they would, they would call it discipleship or uh, mentoring or um, uh, learning, training. They would use different terms like this, just like we do, but they would find a teacher. Joshua uh, B. Pareyah, he said back then, provide thyself with a teacher and get thee a fellow disciple. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Gamaliel echoed, provide thyself with a teacher and remove thyself from doubt. In other words, it wasn't the teacher saying, uh, I need you to listen to me. It was a student saying, I need someone to listen to. It was a person initiating, I want someone to follow. I want someone, and this is somebody that I'm going to uh, see as my rabbi, as my teacher, as my master. And so it was different when Jesus, walking along the shore, said to these two brothers and to those two brothers, hey, guys, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So it was kind of a revolutionary concept. It was a different concept to what they were used to. At the inauguration of his kingdom mission, Jesus establishes a new pattern. He is the one who takes the initiative to seek out and to give a call for these brothers to enter into a permanent relationship with him. And uh, back then, they would say, well, I'm following this person. Paul was like that with his teachers as well. So brothers Peter and Andrew were already believers. They had already come to meet the Lord and know him as the Savior. Listen to this, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw him following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, this is to be interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For there it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first findeth his own brother Simon, that's Peter, and saith unto him, we found the Messiah's which being interpreted is the Christ. We found a Christ. We found a Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jodah, uh, uh, but uh, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And so this is the conversion of Andrew first, and he brings his brother Peter, and they believe in Christ. They trust that Jesus is the Messiah, which we know what that means, the death, burial, and resurrection, the Savior of the world. They knew that he was the promised one that all Israel and every Hebrew was looking for. And then, a short time later, here's Jesus walking on the shore. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were already Christians. So the call for us And if you're already a Christian is, let's be a disciple of Christ. Let's be a disciple of Christ who also encourages other people to be a disciple of Christ by fishing for men. Over the next several weeks, some of you will have the privilege and opportunity, and it's our responsibility to share the gospel, but you'll have the privilege and opportunity to perhaps tell a loved one, a brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, relative, spouse, somebody, about Jesus. Just like Andrew told Peter, I found the Savior. Some of you can tell stories about when you came to faith in Christ and you shared the gospel, you talked to someone else about Christ. Over the next several weeks, you may invite somebody to come to the Invite Your One Day, and it could be a loved one or a family member. They may or may not come, but they they could come here. And after you planted the seed over these years or somebody else or God's been working in their heart about what is life all about, what's Christianity all about, they may come and hear the gospel right at this place and trust Christ as their Savior. Isn't that an amazing thought that that could happen, that your loved one could trust Christ? Well, friends, the gospel is not broken. I'll give you three areas and ways in which the gospel is not broken. Uh, The power of God. You see, we have the power of God to become. Uh, Notice in our passage, once again, where Jesus is giving this very simple call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. This is not something that we do ourselves. This is something that God does in us. Oh, I'm going to be a really good fisherman of men. Well, that's not something you do yourself. We submit to God. We yield ourselves to God, but it's something that he makes in us. It's something that he's doing in us and something that as we follow the Lord, we are becoming in him. We're not acting alone in gospel ministries. He says, I will make, not you will make, not even we will make, but I will make you fishers of men. So we have the power of God in this. In Acts 1.8, the Lord tells us that we shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we have the power of God, Christ in us. He's enabled us, he's equipped us, and he's called us to be fishers of men. We have the power of God to become. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're all in. They're all in. They've already believed the Lord as their Savior, and now they they leave everything, the Bible says, and they follow him. Okay, I'm going to throw it all out there. 
I'm going to give everything out there, uh, and I'm going to follow the Lord. In Mark 10, 28, Peter said, this is right near the middle of some difficulty in the ministry of Christ. Then uh, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. In another passage, he says, you know, what more can we give? We've given everything in, in our pursuit of Christ. They believed that God and his power would make them fishers of men. Think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, which was what was taking place when Christ was there, and then to the Greek, that means to everybody, all the other nations and peoples of the world. But we're not ashamed of Christ. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. These men were already born again, and now they're followers of Christ. They are actively becoming fishers of men who are fishing for others and trying to encourage others, too, to be disciples of Christ. Friends, this is something that God can accomplish in you. This is something that God can accomplish through you as you're walking with the Lord. Have you ever been witnessing or talking to somebody about Christ? and you forget a verse, or you misquote this, or you say something backwards or upside down, it's just like, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying to witness, I'm trying to tell them about the love of God. I'm trying to talk to them about how they can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. I'm just messing it all up. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I want to be saved. That sounds great. I want to trust Christ. Have you ever had that happen? Okay, sometimes I'll mess up. It's like the worst message ever, or I'll, I'll be talking to somebody, and, and it's just like, oh, man, that was terrible. That's what I want. What? <laughs> I, I totally messed that up. See, this is a God thing. This is something that God does in spite of us and even at times through us. It's always been through us. Speaking of our complete Christian experience and our total dependence on the Lord, both now and forever, the Apostle Paul says, faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Faithful is he. He's faithful. He's going to do it. If he calls you to something, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He'll do that in and through you. So we have the power of God to become. Next, we have the purpose of God to fulfill. He says, I'm going to make you fishermen. The word fisherman back then just meant uh, somebody on the sea, somebody on the sea, a fisherman. And uh, fishers fish. You have to be around a body of water for that. They go where the fish are at. In a normal marketplace of life, you and I as Christians, in this wonderful analogy and picture that Christ gives, in, a, in the marketplace of life, your daily life, you also are able to fish for men because we live daily life. So you have opportunities before you that maybe the person next to you doesn't have to be a witness, to be a testimony, to give an invitation, to share the love of Christ with someone in the normal marketplace of life. It came to pass, and I love this illustrative story, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish and waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, year after year. Those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. 
continually. They search for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. Further, they said, the fishing industry exists by fishing as fire exists by burning. They loved slogans such as, fishing is the task of every fisherman. They sponsored special meetings called Fisherman's Campaigns in the month for fishermen to fish. And they sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and hear about all the ways of fishing and about all the new fishing equipment, fish calls, and whether any new bait had been discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The pleas was that everyone would be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a boat to send out fishermen to other places where many uh, would fish, where many fish were. The uh, board hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. Uh, but the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built with the primary purpose of teaching fishermen how to fish, the nature of fish, and where to find fish, the psychology of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the, the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and given, given their fishing licenses, they were sent to do full-time fishing, some, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned into, uh, sent to fish, but the fishermen came back home. They engaged in all other kinds of occupations. They built power plants to pump water for fish and tractors to plow new waterways. They made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there to look for fish hatcheries. Uh, some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt the job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that there were nice, land-loving neighbors on shore, how loving and kind uh, that, that that would be enough. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting, and he went fishing. The next day, he reported that he caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell about his experience to other fishermen. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they, were, they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not the, was it not the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were not really fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did not sound correct. Is the person a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? If one following, he isn't fishing. Now, you may or may not win somebody to Christ uh, from year to year, but at least do you have your line in the water? Do you witness? 
you tell someone about Christ? Have you shared Christ? Have you brought up Jesus in the conversation? There's the power to become, the purpose of God to fulfill, to actually be fishermen. And then notice the plan of God to discover that we would seek after men. There are men and women, boys and girls, that need to hear about Christ. During New Testament times, commercial fishing enterprises were conducted on the Sea of Galilee, and they had fishermen guilds. The way that we read, and history also tells us, I believe, uh, from what I've read and studied, that Peter probably was the leader of this small group of these who became disciples. And if you go to Peter's house, he has one of the larger houses in, in uh, Capernaum, and he probably owned at least one of the boats, if not several of those boats. And and the passage in uh, Luke even indicates that they were working together. So he's probably the guy in charge, like a fisherman's guild that he's a part of. So they were organized. They had a plan. There's a plan of God for us to discover. Here we have our Invite Your One campaign. It's a plan. It's like, okay, if, every, if everyone would participate in this, it would be an amazing thing that some people would come to faith in Christ. Some people would believe the gospel. Someone would hear the gospel for the first time and others would respond because they've heard it or seen it somewhere before. Now, just like fishing, we don't always know where the fish are at. I mean, it's part of the sport of fishing itself. When The way that we fish, throwing the lines in the water, we don't always know. We hope so. We look in, we try to find them, but we don't always know. In fishing, we use different baits when we go fishing. Some work better than others, but let me just let this be clear. We're not baiting or tricking anybody. We're giving them truth. We're putting a line to God in the water so that they can have a way to get to God. It's a line to God when you give the gospel. And so keep your line in the water so that they can find God. Here's some tips or ideas to help us discover this, to give the gospel to men and women and kids. Be consistent. Be consistent. Your faithfulness to the Lord and to Christian things speaks volumes to those around you. Those in the workplace, those in the classroom, those neighbors down the street, your relatives at the special events and gatherings. Be consistent. That speaks volumes. Be committed. Be committed to keeping that line in the water, a conversation, a car ride, a moment at lunch, a discussion in the hallway. There's ways to interject, not force, but interject in common conversation, God, Jesus, his love, his forgiveness. And people may ask you, you know, what should I do about this? And there's a problem or a struggle. And they may come to you and ask. And we can give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Everyday conversation. Uh, be ready. Be ready. We have a hope in us. So be able to share. Uh, maybe have some gospel tracks. Between the double doors, under the clock, is a little rack, a plastic rack. And has, I think, about eight different titles of tracks, like different themes or approaches to sharing Christ or talking about the gospel, different verses. I call them titles. So go find some and like, hey, I think this one, this one might encourage somebody. Some for the kids playing soccer, some have like a soccer ball in the front or a basketball and there's others. Just look at them, take them and use those things. So have some of those on hand. You can be ready like that. Be specific. When it comes to inviting people to church, here's something that's a lot more effective than an open-ended conversation. Like, oh, you're always welcome to our church. You know, okay, that's not going to work as much as, would you meet me this Sunday at 10 o'clock? That's a lot better. It's specific. Here's something even better. It's, a, it's less than a month away. Uh, October 1st, 
would you meet me for church on October 1st? 10 o'clock, come early, we'll get some coffee. You could sit with me. And I want to challenge everybody, when you invite somebody, expect them to come, be ready. You, know, you could confirm with them ahead of time. But maybe say, let's, uh, let's have lunch afterwards, or let's go to dinner, or let's go get some ice cream, or do something afterwards to make it a, a special thing. Uh, we had these little cards, and we went ahead and filled in the information October, October 1st at uh, 10 a.m. And you could put that, uh, you could just fill in anything else on it, but you could use this card and maybe make, make one better, make one more personal. Write a little letter or a note to somebody or something. But uh, take these cards today. They're right next to that, those tracks out there in the lobby. And let's invite people to come specifically. Not just open-ended, but October 1st is the day. Let's do it. It could be that you invite somebody who grew up in church or they haven't been to church for a while, but they're familiar with Christianity to some degree. Go ahead and invite them anyway. And it could be that they are then compelled to follow Jesus as fishers of men. Our primary objective is let's find people who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior, and let's invite them to come. But be very specific. Let's keep on going then. Be relational. There are people that you know that I'll never meet. There are people that you know that the person seated next to you will never get to talk to. So be relational. Be personal. Talk to them. I love it how Jesus called these guys, and he calls them by name. He's like, hey, Andrew. And he, he changes his name. That's, you can't do that. Don't do that. Don't change your name like, hey, I'm going to call you something else now. Don't do that. But he, he calls them specifically and says, I want you to follow me. You could do that. Be very relational. Now, be personal. People Know people and let people know you. Some thoughts with this. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. I know this is a shock. All of us have problems. None of us are perfect. Okay? And do you agree with that? Yeah, okay. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to be like, you know, I, I'm just so, so uh, together. And I want you to come with me because I figured it all out. Okay, if you do that, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't invite him here. Invite him somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it's okay to be honest and transparent and real. Okay? Don't fake it. We're real. Don't act like you're perfect. Lying does not help other people. Confessing need for help, asking, need, asking for forgiveness, being transparent, these things are real. All of us have problems. And the difference is how do people deal with those problems? Okay, it's not cover it up, act like there's nothing wrong. It's I'm, I'm walking through life with Christ. So don't fake it, be real about it. We're trying to be more like Christ, and truly we're allowing Christ to live out through us. Have a heart for God and have a heart for other people. Imagine if the 200 or so people connected to our church, and not every week are 200 here, but about 200 are connected to our church in some way. Imagine if everybody brought somebody that day. Somebody be saved, born again. Families will be touched with the gospel. Lives will be changed both now and forever if everybody brought somebody. This morning, before you leave, if you haven't put a name up here, we need your name. Not your name, but the name that you're bringing, that you're inviting. Write it on that card, nail it up there with that little pen, and we're going to pray for them the next three weeks because it's coming fast. It's coming fast. 
We want to pray specifically for the people that you're planning to invite. You put one name, two names, ten names, whoever you're going to personally talk to. This isn't like a general, I'm going to have my 500 followers on Facebook or, or X, uh, you know, invite. No, I'm going to talk to these people personally. I'm going to put their name on. We're going to pray for them. Just imagine what God could do if all of us invited somebody and we know that several will come. God's plan from the beginning was to send his son Jesus as an emissary, a missionary of salvation. Ephesians 1 tells us, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children uh, 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 by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that's when Christ inserted himself into humanity on this earth, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Christ came, inserted himself into humanity, God in the flesh, and, uh, and he did this so that we could be saved, so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And in another passage, Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We don't know who that person will be that trusts Christ, but you can invite them. God can use you. Now, on one of our fishing adventures, we were at Fish Creek, which is part of Saratoga Lake. It's our favorite place to go. We were trying shore fishing, and uh, our middle daughter was with us, and, and it was me and, and our son and, and uh, Whitney and Kyle there. We were, we were, all three of us were there shore fishing. And we're on this concrete pier that shoots out pretty far into the creek, and suddenly a serpent stuck its head up. The kids started whacking in the head <laughs> with the end of their fishing poles. And uh, I'm looking around like all these people in this fishing pier, you know, they're like, wham, wham, wham. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Kill the snake, you know. <laughs> don't let these people see. I hate that snake too, but don't. <laughs> There's a serpent in the fishing story of Jesus as well. Satan, the serpent. When after, we won't read these verses, but after he was cast from heaven to earth, it was sometime, probably just a space of a few hours. I don't know. We don't know the time frame, but that's when he found his way to Eve and tempted her. Adam, you're right. Does look pretty good. He eats the fruit as well. Mankind fell into sin. We've been tempted ever since. We're battling with sin ever since. Okay? There's a serpent in the story as well. Satan will oppose you. Satan will try to distract your one you're trying to invite from coming. 
I've, I've talked to a lot, of, a lot of guys in the last week, a lot of young men, and they're like, oh, I'm just too busy to come to church. I have so many things. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I'm like, I know, I know. But at some point, you've got to get your priorities straight. Thanks for being honest. You've been, you know, tell me what you've been doing. Satan will get you busy doing other things. He'll get these people busy doing other things. And so the next couple weeks, we need to pray. We need to specifically and precisely and personally invite somebody, follow up with them, talk with them some more, and invite them to come to hear about Christ. Friends, Satan doesn't win. The serpent doesn't win because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let's get our lines in the water. The gospel is not broken. So let's give it. Let's take it. Let's share it this week in the next few weeks in particular. Let's take a moment and pray and visit with the Lord. I have just three questions for each one here today. The first one is this, Lord, empower me to be an effective witness. I, I would like this to be my prayer. Lord, empower me to be an effective witness. That's a prayer for me today. Anybody like that? I'd like to be an effective witness. I see many hands. Are there others? God bless you. Help us. Yes, God help us. Our second question then is, Lord, help me to consistently demonstrate your love and your grace. It really helps to do that when you're talking to people around you about Christ. Lord, help me to demonstrate love and grace. That's my prayer today. Anybody like that? All right, many hands. Yes, yes, we've got to be consistent with that. And then who's your one? Or maybe you have several. Think of that person's name right now. What's their name? Who are you planning to invite? Maybe you put their name on the board. Maybe it's not there yet. Who's that one? Think of their name right now. All right, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them. While I pray, would you pray? And then just right after the service, come right down up here and put their name on the cross. Who's your one or several? Who are you going to pray for to invite? Father, you know the names on everyone's heart right now. It could be 50 to 100 names right at this moment. We pray for those people, the men and women, the teenagers, the boys and girls that will be invited to hear about Christ. We ask that you would soften their hearts to the gospel, that they would be receptive to the invitation, that they would see Jesus Christ for who he is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I pray for each person here that they would have boldness and strength from you to be fishermen, to take the gospel, to share your love, to keep a line in the water. And as we bring names to this cross, we're going to keep praying for these names of these people, and we're going to pray that they would come to faith in Christ. Lord, let us be effective witnesses. Uh, give us the strength and courage that we need in these days to, uh, to share you and to share your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.